The message today is entitled, Christians, Biblical Perspectives on Independence Day in the USA. And just so you know my opinion, anytime we have a Sunday that precedes a federal holiday that is designed to, in some way, remind us of the patriotism that all of us should have in this country, I personally think it's a great thing if any of our veterans on those particular Sundays proudly wear their uniforms if they can still fit in them. (laughs) If you don't fit in them, please don't put them on. But we do want to honor any veterans that serve here in the church with us because of their service anytime there's a patriotic Sunday like today. And today is a special Sunday. You probably already know that. Not always will I preach a message deviating from our expository series that's focused on whatever holidays are coming up. But every now and then we'll do that sort of thing and you'll see it mapped out in advance. I want to give you a couple of scriptures up front because you probably are aware because some of you do this. Some of you will ask me a question that has something to do with what's going on in our country, some political hot potato. Personally, I don't think it's a great idea for preachers to have a reaction for everything. I think we need to be more proactive than that. So what I'm going to do is to try to collect these hot potato questions Um, To give you an idea of of what I've done in the past, there was a particular message that I had collected questions and I did not answer them. I said, let's just handle this. Why don't we just boldly go through what the Bible says? And I think the subjects that we covered one particular Sunday morning included war, homosexuality, abortion, and firearms and what the Bible might say about those things. So we might do that someday in the future after we get past all that we've already mapped out. Maybe we'll handle the hot potatoes because I'm not afraid of what God says about it. I'll, I'll do what he says. But I want to give you some scriptures because it's inevitable that on a day like tomorrow, Independence Day, uh, there's controversy that's going to be on social media, on your TVs, and in conversations between you and your family and your neighbors or whoever. So I want to give you some guidance with some scripture right up front. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, one of my favorites. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is something that even families that weren't real focused on Christianity raised their kids not that long ago. I know I may not look that old to be able to say that when I was in elementary school, we said the Pledge of Allegiance and we were given Bibles. So that really happened. And we, everybody, everybody's parents said things like, so if your, if your friends jump off a cliff, you're going to follow them? We were taught you don't just follow the way everybody else is thinking. Times have changed. Now people think they get their morals by whichever way the wind's blowing. If everybody's thinking this way, then I'm going to jump on that because that, that means I'm moral. That's the new thing. And another new thing is Christianity is being attacked on a regular basis. And and so we almost quietly live our Christianity because we don't want to offend. We're getting pushed and pushed further away from what this country was founded upon. We'll talk about that, but we're we're not supposed to conform to this mold that the world tries to force us into. Let me give you another passage. Maybe you remember from 1 Peter, we read this not that long ago, starting with chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action 
and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I want to remind you what holy is. It's a Greek word, agios, agiosimus, which means to be set apart. You're supposed to be different. And too many times, at least in this world we live in, a lot of Christians think they're supposed to be just like the world. We're not supposed to be. We're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be different, set apart, holy. Just because the world says this is okay or that's okay, or because social media says it, or because our favorite cable news channel or our favorite political party says it doesn't mean it's okay. We are supposed to be set apart, Christians. We're not like the world. We should be standard setters, not trend followers. Now, I'm going to tell you, what I did in preparing for this is I spent the week perusing old messages that I had done for Independence Day. Let me ask you a trivia question. Do you, let me ask it this way. Does France have a 4th of July? (laughs) Yes, every country has a 4th of July, just not everybody celebrates Independence Day. That's a trick question. Yeah, it's always between the 3rd and the 5th. Thank you, Joe, for clarifying. (laughs) So I found a message that I had delivered back in 2014, and the title of that message was Freedom Comes with a Price. And I could have very easily just not put that up there because I gave it a different title at the beginning, but I wanted to be upfront with you. Uh, This message is not out there on any podcast, so nobody would have really known. I mean, I don't think people would pay attention that close. But Freedom Comes with a Price is a good statement, so I wanted to have it up there for you. We'll move to the next slide. I want to show you something that in 2014 was in the Washington Post just before the 4th of July. Uh, The first quote, proud to be an American? You're probably not a true liberal. 44% of Americans say they are most of the time proud to be an American. 60% of liberals say they are most of the time. Proud to be an American, you're probably not a true liberal, is an interesting statement that came out in 2014. I would suggest that those numbers have probably changed since that time, where there are less and less people who claim to be proud to be an American, even though many like the song. Michelle Obama, in 2008, before she was officially the first lady, was very excited about things, and so she said this. For the first time in my adult life, I am proud to be an American. Well, good for her. At least she decided to be proud to be an American. But it's a sad note that she had lived her adult life to that point not being proud to be an American. I would say she's not alone. There are a lot of people that think that way and live that way and have never crossed over to the point where they are proud to be an American. I'll show you an image. This is an image of uh, supposedly what was happening on the 2nd of July in 1776. It's one of those things that's ingrained in my mind. The, The year 1776, I maybe in the future you'll see me forget it, but I never forget July 4th. 1776. This is supposedly on July 2nd when um, they were getting together to do the uh, Declaration of Independence. It wasn't signed until the 4th, but John Adams made a miscalculation. But this is a quote from him that I've seen floating around even lately. The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in history, in the history of America, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance 
by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward, forevermore. Well, his miscalculation was the date, not the second, but the fourth. So we celebrated on the fourth. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, I had spent some time also perusing videos of World War II veterans in particular. Men who had lived a couple of lifetimes <laughs> compared to me. Men who had lived a long time after serving and surviving in World War II. But the more I listened to their videos, the more I thought, That's a, it's a downer. It's a downer to play the way they think. When, when you listen to what they said on video, if you get out, do a search on there and listen to some of them, it's, it could be depressing. Because it seems almost universally the case with those who were videotaped that served in World War II, that wanted to comment on the condition of our country surrounding patriotic days such as 4th of July. It seemed like they were all disappointed in the direction our country had gone because of what they believed they fought for. It seemed like there's this universal belief that rather than being someone who people in general who express gratitude for what they had done in fighting for their country, for freedoms, that a lot of Americans were increasingly not grateful, but felt entitled. Any of you see this? Less and less gratefulness, more entitlement feeling. Yeah, it's disappointing. So I chose not to play those videos. I did want to show you a little image that I thought was kind of cool of an eagle. You'll see it up behind me. Freedom isn't free, but it's worth defending. Here's another image I want to show you. This might say something to you when you have scripture uh, attached to this kind of image. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And there you can see just one of many images we could put up there of honoring those who have died for others. We should be grateful for those things. I'm going to show you another slide with that same scripture on it. And you can go ahead and click through this so that everything shows. We've got a little bit of a difficulty today because when I went to print, printer went out of ink and... Uh, so I ran out of time as well. So we got patriotism and Christianity divided. Yes, I use red and blue just to be kind of cool because it's patriotic. And there's a cross dividing it. But just notice that things are very similar. Under patriotism, you see freedom, sacrifice, and responsibility. And under Christianity, you see freedom, sacrifice, and responsibility. I wanted you to be able to see that visual because the patriotism in America was absolutely founded on Christian principles, and that's why they're so similar. I'll show you this image of an American flag and a statement that I believe to be true. America can be a great nation again if more of us are true friends of Jesus. Remember, this is from 2014. People wiser than me have said things like this long before. If you're interested in tracking down some of the best quotes you can probably find on Christianity being a very key thing in the founding of this great nation. Here's a website for you. It's called Wall Builders. You can look it up yourself. You can peruse that and find all kinds of great resources. At some point in time, we'll have this on our website. And we'll also have, they have multiple links in theirs that take you to other places, but very, very patriotic uh, that's been around for a long time. Now what I want to do is give you some quotes that can be found on this website. Um, 
we have an increasing effort in this country to try to revise history. Have you heard of Christian revisionists? I didn't even realize this was happening until the early 90s in my first church where I was the lead pastor. I also took on the responsibility for a few weeks of teaching the high school Sunday school class. And they began to tell me that their history teacher, they all had the same history teacher in Springdale, Arkansas. They told me that their history teacher was teaching them, did you know why Columbus came to America? It was to cut off the hands and feet Uh, feet of the Native Americans uh, to sell them as souvenirs. And I said, can you ask your history teacher where she's getting this information? There are actually books that are history books that have been written to revise history with this kind of false information in it. It's crazy. But that's what people are doing. So I want to give you some real quotes so you can kind of get an idea of some key figures in our founding in this country about their thoughts on Christianity. And I'll give you a heads up. Like I said, the printer quit printing, so I'm going to be flying blind with you because I'm going to run out of notes and I'll be relying on the clicks of uh, JC. But right now I have these. First of all, this is George Washington. You'll see it up behind me, and I will read it. You do well to wish to learn our arts and ways of life, and above all, the religion of Jesus Christ. These will make you a greater and happier people than you are. While we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion, to the distinguished character of patriot, It should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. That is the first president of the United States of America, George Washington. Let's move on to uh, Samuel Adams. By the way, you'll recognize some of these characters as signers of the Declaration of Independence. He said, I conceive we cannot better express ourselves than by humbly supplicating the supreme ruler of the world, that the confusions that are and have been among the nations may be overruled by the promoting and speedily bringing in the holy and happy period when the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may be everywhere established and the people willingly bow to the scepter of him who is the Prince of Peace." John Adams, and these are little quotes uh, that are separate, but they're, they're good. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. This is the second president of the United States, signer of the Declaration of Independence. He also said this, The Christian religion is above all the religions that have ever prevailed or existed in ancient or modern times the religion of wisdom, virtue, equity, and humanity. And another quote, I have examined all religions, and the result is that the Bible is the best book in the world. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's some more. I'm only giving you seven because seven seemed like a good number of completion, so I'm giving you seven quotes. There are many more that you can find on your own. They're increasingly harder to find because people would like to scrub them from our history. Well, let's talk about something, a quote from the third president of the United States, signer of the Declaration of Independence as well. The general, uh, no, that's not it, Thomas Jefferson, the practice of morality being necessary for the well-being of society. He, God, has taken care to impress its precepts so indelibly on our hearts that they shall not be effaced by the subtleties of our brain. We all agree in the obligation of the moral principles of Jesus, and nowhere will they be found delivered in greater purity than in his discourses. Now, you remember, we keep being told Thomas Jefferson was a deist. What a deist is, is someone that believes that God did create everything, but then he removed himself from any involvement after that. That's a deist. That is not the way Thomas Jefferson 
wrote, spoke, or acted. It's just what modern history revisionists say. Here's some more quotes from Thomas Jefferson. You can see them. I am a Christian in the only sense in which he wished anyone to be, sincerely attached to his doctrines in preference to all others. Another quote, I am a real Christian, that is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. So if somebody wants to tell you that he was a deist and not a Christian, they are false. Thomas Jefferson called himself a Christian. Well, here's another one. Dr. Benjamin Rush, signer of the Declaration of Independence. He's the father of public education under the Constitution. Very respected individual in history. He said, I do not believe that the Constitution was the offspring of inspiration, but I am as satisfied that it is much the work of a divine providence as any of the miracles recorded in the Old and New Testament. The Bible, when not read in schools, is seldom read in any subsequent period of life. The Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books because it contains the greatest portion of that kind of knowledge which is calculated to produce private and public happiness. Here's a little interesting tidbit of history that you probably don't know. It was back in, I believe, 1991, 90 or 91, when a school district in rural Missouri was sued because the science teacher claimed that she was a Christian and she had a different belief than what she was teaching in her science class. A mother of a child in that class sued the school district and won because she felt the teacher was pushing religion on her and she was raising her child to be atheist. In the neighboring district, I had been reached out to because I was disabled. I had just had reconstructive surgery on my ankle, was walking on a cane that I had built for a strange situation where I had to disarm a guy um, who was hurting his ex-wife, and I had a broken cane, and after that I thought, I need a cane that can, I can whack somebody with. So I built a cane with a, a six or eight inch bolt in it and a Belgian eight ball on it. So it definitely was a weapon. And I was a preacher in the local church, and I was working at the local dairy to make ends meet, and I got a call to the high school because in Kansas City they had this great idea of using, uh, to push lottery, to get people to give money to the lottery. So they, they thought, this is a great idea. We'll tell them it's going to go to education, which is what Washington State said too. And yeah. So, well, in Kansas City, they actually spent some of the money on education. Huh, isn't that crazy? But they did. And they, they actually built a, they put it into some systems, but then they also built a, an alternative school that was amazing. It had a bowling alley in it. I mean, it's, it was a special school. But when that failed, they created another system where it was a relocation program where they would take these kids raised in the city and relocate their family. If their family was on other government assistance, they would put them in, a, in this program where they would relocate the whole family to a rural area where the teacher-to-student ratio would be less. And the thought was they would work better in that type of environment. They could get more individual attention. So a rural school near the one that just got sued, they decided, huh, we'll take that because they get big checks for this. Hey, we'll take these kids, send them, bring them to our county. So they brought them to their school district and the kids began committing acts of violence and it scared the school district and they didn't know what to do. And somebody said, well, we got a preacher that used to be a boxer, and he carries a big stick. So <laughs> who's going to try to hurt a crippled guy? And if they do, he's got a big stick. So they called me, they interviewed me, they hired me to be the discipline, kind of like a resource officer. I connected to the Bates County Sheriff's Department, and I was the disciplinarian. While there, in a classroom, uh, there were some kids that... They had put three boys together that were trouble, and they were acting up a little bit in a classroom, and try to, to try to prevent them from getting an in-school suspension with me, I simply went to the classroom and sat in the classroom to make sure they behaved. 
and they did. But the biology teacher began to teach evolution because it was in the textbook. And one of the students said, I bet Mr. Adams doesn't think that. And so you know how kids are. They're going to get the, the staff arguing. And the, I knew the teacher, and I knew he didn't think that either. He didn't agree with it. He was a Christian. And he said, we're, we're not going to pull Mr. Adams into that. That's not why he's here. But then he went to the principal. The principal went to the superintendent, and they wanted to avoid this conflict. The superintendent's solution was to talk to me privately. Would you be willing to teach? Because he opened the door, and all the students were in an uproar. They want to hear from Mr. Adams. Would you be willing to teach a course on creation science and test them on it and make it a pass or fail thing? And he said, I'd like you to do that for the high school and the junior high since the door's been open and we, the district next to us just got sued. But if you can do that, we, we can do that and we can, we can push this. I said, okay. And he said, I have one request of you. Please use the Bible. I thought, what? He said, currently in our state, the Bible still sits in the reference section in all school libraries, which means it's considered to be a book of fact. So I did. I loved it. It was great. Two weeks, and then I got to teach Christ in youth that same subject in a, just a one-week course, uh, but I loved doing it. Dr. Benjamin Rush would have the Bible taught in every school every public school. And he's the founder of the public school system. Signer of the Declaration. Here's another signer of the Declaration of Independence. This particular guy, Roger Sherman, he's the signer of the Declaration. He's also the master builder of the Constitution and framer of the Bill of Rights. He might know a thing or two about whether or not we're founded on Christian principles. So let's go ahead and read his quote. I believe that there is one only living and true God, existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are a revelation from God and a complete rule to direct us how we might glorify and enjoy Him. Apparently, these founders didn't think that they had to separate their Christianity from their public positions. And here's the final one from Richard Stockton, signer of the Declaration of Independence. As my children will have frequent occasion of pursuing this instrument and may probably be particularly impressed with the last words of their father, I think it proper here not only to subscribe to the entire belief of the great and leading doctrines of the Christian religion, such as the being of God, the universal defection and depravity of human nature, the divinity of the, divinity of the person, and the completeness of the redemption purchased by the blessed Savior, the necessity of the operations of the divine spirit, the divine faith accompanied with an, in, a, a, an habitual virtuous life, and the universal, universality of the divine providence. And it goes on just to solidify his beliefs in Christian teachings. Now, I'm stopping with all of those quotes. There's plenty more. Our founders had a strong belief in Christianity and God's role in the founding of this country. Now, we have history revisionists saying, no, they didn't. They said otherwise. I'll go with them on it. Now, I want to give you a just the Bible timeline. That's what I call um, what we're a part of, a just the Bible movement. I think it started back before the Reformation, then it included the Reformation, and then the Restoration. Now, I had a, a very interesting phone call yesterday from a lawyer on a Saturday. It's very unusual. He was in his office, he was studying, and he was asking me some questions, and he was trying to get clarity on my particular beliefs, the church I come from, that kind of a thing. And... I can tell you lawyers don't like the idea that these kinds of churches exist because it's very hard in a court of law to argue that we have a particular practice because we say just the Bible. But that's what we say. We don't need some other piece of paper telling us how to think about the Bible. The Bible tells us 
how we're supposed to live. So we just follow the Bible. So I want to give you some little pieces of history. July 4th, 1776, Declaration of Independence. That's when we celebrate because that's when it was signed. September 12th, 1788 is the birth of Alexander Campbell. Some of you are familiar with his name. That is significant in history of just the Bible. August 5th through 12th, 1801, is the Cane Ridge Revival. The, there is, if you look it up, you'll find on Wikipedia even that they questioned the attendance, but the United States military reported that on any given day in, in those days, there were between 10 and 20,000 people. It's considered the largest revival in American history. It is considered kind of the, the kickstart of the second great awakening. And because of this particular revival that was all about no creeds of man, just the Bible, <laughs> this is what spread across the United States. When you watch Westerns and you see the preacher standing on the corner, that is lifted straight out of what happened as a direct result of this revival. Because that's what happened. A revival took place in a particular location in Cane Ridge. And those that attended, many preachers came out of that. Preachers from denominations who chose to break from their denominations because they didn't want anything but just the Bible anymore. And some of the wagon trains that came all the way out here, in fact, one of them led by a guy by the name of James Longmire, you'll see his name all around Mount Rainier, Steelacum, Yelm. James Longmire was a preaching deacon out of that movement. He traveled with a preacher by the name of Tyrus Himes, who they started, they went to Steelacum, but then they went back over to Yelm and actually started the town of Yelm and had the first church house in a log cabin, and it was an independent Christian church just like us. In 1807, the Campbells seceded from the Presbyterian Church. I've told you about this. Both father and son, simultaneously, without knowing each other, were separating or being separated from the Presbyterian Church. And uh, Alexander was studying in Glasgow. He was one of the top students. His father was so respected, he was in... Um, Pennsylvania, and Washington County over all of the Presbyterian churches. But neither of them could reconcile the differences that the Presbyterian church was forcing them to preach. They just couldn't reconcile it with the Bible. And they didn't see how there was a, there was a movement that was happening around the world. And the movement was sparked by what was happening in this new country. You can see the dates are so close. So after... This country was, was successful in being independent. There was this idea that you can have religious freedom because that's why people wanted to come here because religion had been married to politicians in the rest of the world. People were sick of it and they wanted to go to this great new world that they heard you could go and just Follow the Bible. You don't have to have government tell you how to think about the Bible or how to do your religion. And their thought was just the Bible. I mean, go back to Plymouth Rock and look at how the people thought. It wasn't that they, hey, we're coming. We're finally get away from Christianity. We left all that. Not at all. They came and uplifted Jesus, God, and the Bible. They were thankful that they could just worship him without the oppression of the government. It was government state out of our faith, particularly out of Christianity. And they were, they were all about Christianity. All of the things, you'll see it all through the history, the early history especially. And so the Campbells had this idea. Alexander Campbell was... More emboldened, like, why can't we just follow the Bible? Well, that wasn't real popular in Europe. But in the New World, that's supposed to be popular. And his dad, Thomas Campbell, tried to just preach the Bible. But the people that had been used to Presbyterian preaching wrote to the officials, and the Presbyterian church 
sent word to Thomas Campbell, you preach how we tell you to preach. Don't you just do your own thing. So they removed his ordination, his license. And that kind of was the Cambridge revival. And the thing that happened with the Campbells was the birth of an incredible thing in this country. And it spread like wildfire. There were four key players and a fifth one, if you want to count Raccoon John Smith. I don't have them all up here. But I just mentioned Alexander and Thomas Campbell. Barton W. Stone was the Cane Ridge Revival leader. Uh, Walter Scott was another one. And then Raccoon John Smith, who was a modern-day John the Baptist, who kind of got them all together, which was fascinating. In 1839... Campbell's and Walter Scott disassociated from the Baptists. And let me give you a little bit of a background on that. When the Thomas and Alexander Campbell, when their big, you know what their big deal was the, when it ultimately came down to it in America when they got together? It was, it was baptism. Infant baptism is not in the Bible. And when they came to that realization, they actually were immersed they wanted to get it right. And then the Baptists heard about it. Oh, those guys have separated themselves from the Presbyterian church. We'll take them. <laughs> we baptize people. So they took them. But after a while, Thomas and Alexander Campbell felt like, because here's what Alexander Campbell started a publication called The Christian Baptist. People started saying, Oh, so you're a better kind of Christian than the Methodists, or you're a better kind of Christian than the Presbyterians. And they started that. And eventually, they just said, we're going to disassociate. We're not, we're not, we're just Christians, just the Bible, not any special kind of Christian, just, just follow the Bible. They changed it to the Millennial Harbinger, and ultimately it became the Christian Standard, and Standard Publishing came out of that, and we use Standard Publishing material for our Sunday School material here, as do most other churches of all denominations, because all they teach is right out of the Bible. We are a part of that. We've even had a president who is a part of that, Garfield, if you didn't know. All right, I'm going to show you some screenshots that I pulled off the internet. This first one is kind of hard to read. This is off of the, I believe this is the Heritage Foundation and this, they got their information from the Pew Research Center that was finally compiled in June of this year. So since it's kind of hard to read, I don't think you, you can't even probably read that from where you are. It's a little blurry. So the idea is that many Americans are skeptical about the condition of America. JC, if you'll click the next slide, I'll show you that one. Here's a really alarming thing. Most Americans, including near record share of Republicans, and let me clarify to you just so that you know, I do not identify myself as a Republican or a Democrat or even an Independent. I'm a Christian and I will support Christian ideals and people that are in politics that support those ideals, whatever label they wear. But this is just a statistic. There's Democrats and Republicans in their, in their survey. But including near record share Republicans say the U.S. Has, is less respected internationally than in the past. That is a very serious concern. It's not just any one particular political group. It's all of them. Uh, we have high numbers we believe we are disrespected as a nation internationally. Here's a book that I recommend to you. It's got foul language in it because it's not a Christian book. And I've got an image of the war on the West in the form of a CD. Some of you have been reading it uh, because I've recommended it to you. I even recommend if you can get it on CD, listen to the CD because the guy is from England and he sounds smarter than he is. I mean, <laughs> They just sound smarter. I don't know why. They, I love listening to people with accents. So, But he is very smart, and I think that it's a very revealing piece of work. He's done a great research. You like it too, Joe. There it is. He's got the book with him, so there you go. Are you done with it? Yes. Okay, so he can hand it off to somebody else who wants to read it. 
Bill Main has read it as well. Dan and Marcy are listening to the CDs right now. I highly recommend it. Not a Christian book, but it explains why we have what we have today. And I don't have a slide for this. I pulled it, but I hope that I'm being prompted by the Spirit to share this with you. I don't need to show you an image of this person that you know as Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick, if you don't know, he was adopted and raised uh, by uh, light-skinned people. And he was given a very good life, went all the way to the NFL, and was an outstanding quarterback for a short time in the NFL. And at one particular time in history, you, you will remember, we've been told, Colin Tap- Kaepernick took a knee, wrong. He did not take a knee the first time. He chose to sit while everyone else stood for the national anthem. If you can't find it, if you find it, please send me a link because it used to be readily available. They have scrubbed it from the internet. You don't get to see the first one. After that, he took a knee. But the first time he did it, he sat down. And if you've ever had an image of somebody who looked like, am I going to get in trouble for this? Am I, am I going to get in trouble? That's what he looked like the whole time. He did not look like he was confidently doing anything. Let me give you some background that you probably have not heard anything about, about what led up to that moment. For one thing, let's go ahead and get the elephant out of the room. You probably know this. He was not the starting quarterback for the 49ers anymore. He was benched because his performance on the field was bad. It had gotten bad. He was not consistent, and he was having more negatives than positives, so rightfully he was put on the bench. There was a second problem as to what led to him being on the bench. He was a problem in the locker room and on the sidelines. Do you all remember he got into a couple of scuffles with Alden Smith? You remember that? You know what it was about? Oh, well, let me tell you, this is the part you probably don't know. There is a woman by the name of Nessa Diab. Have you heard of that name? Nessa Diab is a shock jock, like Howard Stern, uh, radio personality out of New York City. Now, if you are a radio personality out of New York City, you automatically have a huge audience because people will turn the dials or use their digital controls and they'll tune in because you have options. She has a large audience. What does she, what does she shock people with? What does she, it's not as shocking as it once was, but her start was shocking. Now, a lot of people just buy into what she does. She hates America. She hates Christianity. She hates the police. And she hates white people. So Nessa Diab did that. And now that she's done it so much and she has a huge audience, it became a thing. She had quite a following. And she was dating Alden Smith. And Colin Kaepernick looked at her and lusted after her and he wanted her. So he began to try to take her, and she gave him the attention he wanted, and he stole her from Alden Smith, and they got into fights on the sideline, and then the locker rooms became a toxic environment, and Colin Kaepernick was seen as a toxic person within the 49ers franchise. So, by all estimations, what he did when he sat and then later kneeled was to impress Nessa Diab, whose attention he was trying to get. They are still together. There's the backstory that nobody ever talks about, that nobody wants to talk about it. And he's making more money now than he did when he was in the NFL because it's trendy to hate America, to hate police, to hate Christians, and to hate white people. The Heritage Foundation, I'll show you this one right here. It's where some of those from the Pew Research that I got. I want to give you this. This is from June 30th, 2008. So that's before 2014. And yet precisely because there are no requirements or preconditions to become an American other than an understanding and appreciation for all that bind us together, immigrants have an obligation to honor and love our country like those who came before us. It is vital to know our country's history, customs, and language. 
Only then can we ensure that future generations of Americans can be as blessed as we are to live in such a great country. And this is the Heritage Foundation. This was put out in 2008. And you can see, we don't really think like this much anymore. Times have changed. Let me show you an image right here up behind me. You'll see an American flag. It's 17 by 12 inches. It's rather small. I have a five by, or a four by six American flag hanging off the front of my house. It, it, neighborhoods don't look like they did. You remember what happened after September 11, 2001? You could go down any street and see American flags peppered everywhere. People suddenly got patriotic because it was scary because we thought that there might be more attacks on our soil. We suddenly appreciated our military more than ever. And we suddenly we wanted to wrap our arms around the American flag and our great American Christian history. And now, same neighborhoods. You, you might see one or two, maybe, on one block. And that might just be during the 4th of July. And there's a few more that'll come out. But this one that happened in 2014, this is a headline. 17 by 12 inch American flag jeopardizes Jacksonville man's home in flap with homeowners association. The homeowners association thought that because he put an American flag up, some people might see that as racist. That's a new thing. Uh, here's a, out of Venice, Florida. Here's a headline in national news, June 27, 2014. Cracker Barrel fires veteran over a muffin, muffin, a muffin that he decided to make look patriotic. Uh, JC, we can skip that next CNN one. And the next one, if you'll go to that, yeah. And there you have it again, Christianity and patriotism. They are very similar in this country for a reason. So this is Christian biblical principles on Independence Day in the USA. Oh, wait, let's just go to the next. I'm, I'm going to go blind from here on. So you just click, JC, as I tell you to click. Ah, yeah, they are very similar. Go ahead and click ahead. John 15, 1 and following. We're going to get to this when we go through our text as we go through our series. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you, have, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Next slide. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Next slide. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I don't know if you can tell this, but he's trying to compel us to stay in his love by being obedient. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that it, someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Well, what if you don't do what he commands you? Do you not get the implication? Next slide. Here's some words you might be familiar with. Onward Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before, Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. Next slide. 
Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Next slide. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Like a mighty army moves the church of God, brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided, all one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never Against the church prevail, we have Christ's own promise that cannot fail. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Onward then, ye people, join our happy throng. Blend with ours your voices in the triumph song. Glory, loud, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages, men and angels sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Next slide. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Next slide. This is Jesus. Greater love hath no man than this. That's what, what it might have looked like. Next slide. But he rose from the dead and conquered sins so that we don't have to go through that kind of stuff. Thank God for that. Amen. He is our commander. I hope you got that from those songs of that great hymn. Next. This is my commandment that you love one another. That's what our commander says. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Next. America can be a great nation again if more of us are true friends of Jesus. We'll let that be the last slide. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for having us in this great country, for having your hand throughout our history, how you have birthed a country founded on Christian principles with Christian leaders. God, we thank you for that. We are grateful. We, we don't feel like we are owed anything from you. But we're grateful for the great sacrifices that you have made over time and for the great sacrifice of your son and for the sacrifices that have been made so that we can have freedoms in this country freedoms to worship you openly, and to just follow the Bible. God, we do want to follow the commands of Jesus, to love one another. God, help us do that. And may we see a renewed revival in this country. Lord, we know we need it. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.